This is a special New Year's series produced by myself, Jennifer Schwartz, and Gregory Gordon of Fitness for Consumption. And this series, The Fresh Fitness Perspective, is aiming to take a wide lens of the emerging intersection of the body positivity movement, fitness, and marketing. We are going to talk about culture, motivation, and where we land on certain topics that are very relevant to how we perceive fitness. We are going to have fun, we're going to experiment, and even discuss some 2023 trends. Thank you so much for being here, and have a happy new year from the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast network. Welcome to the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast, part of the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast network, where we put the power of dynamic fitness back in your hands one mental rep at a time. Effective thinking for potent fitness. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome everybody to an episode of Think Fit, Be Fit. You can obviously see and hear I'm not our lovely host, Jen Schwartz, who is on vacation this week. So this is Gregory Gordon, GG here from um, the Fitness for Consumption podcast, also on the Think Fit, Be Fit network. And I'm guest hosting for Jen today. And so we've got a very special guest, a personal trainer that I happen to know that works here in New York City. Her name is Kinde and Joran. So welcome, Kindy. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us just a, a bit about your origin story? Like, how did we get to sit here today, basically? Thank you. Thanks for having me. So my origin story as it pertains to fitness, right? <laughs> how did I immerse myself in the field? Um, I've, I've had a background in, in sports. So growing up, I've always... I played sports and I grew up in a very sheltered environment. Mm -hmm. So my outlet was sports. So I kind of just immersed myself in playing tennis, basketball, running track. So that way I had some sort of like social um, autonomy of my life. I I Mm. wasn't allowed to have any like friends or even socialize. Yeah. In that capacity. So sports was like my refuge. So I got immersed in that and that just, you know, sort of like stuck with me. I was supposed to run professionally while in the D1 in college, but I didn't really have, yeah, for San Francisco State University. Wait a Um, second. I went to San Francisco (laughs) State University. Wait, you worked there? I went there. What? (laughs) (laughs) What? I went there from, golly, 96 to 99. Um, wow! Yeah, so we'll we'll have to talk about that on a on a different time. Wow! What a small world. <laughs> yeah, because it's not that really. It's not that well known of a school, or it's not that. No. Yeah. Is, yeah. Wow. All right. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. So you <laughs> That's were running. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so I was supposed to run, but I just backed out. I didn't really have the support system, and at the time, honestly, I hated training. I hated working out, and I was like, you know what, mm-hmm. this is not for me. Um, so I just sort of like, you know, adopted like a degree in marketing and I, uh, majored in like Africana studies after college, I went into the fashion industry and I believe I was going through some sort of tumultuous time in my life and I needed something to sort of like gravitate me and get me out of the slump. And that's when I kind of reintroduced myself into physical activity and I went back into the gym. Had you moved and to New York from after San Francisco State? Did, what, did you move to New York to work in the? I moved. Um, yeah, like when I, I when I was done my undergrad, I moved to New York and I finished my undergrad in Berkeley College, 
and I went into the fashion industry. And while I was working in the fashion industry, I sort of introduced myself into the physical um, realm again. So I went back into like working out, training in the gym, and I loved it so much. And I was always working out and I was able to transform my body and just sort of see what it did for like my just internal self. And it was a mechanism for self-care for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually 10 years in the fashion industry, I decided that, you know, this is not what I wanted to do anymore. And I began to wonder like, okay, how do I pivot? What is it that I want to do? And my twin sister had recommended me going to the, the fitness industry. She says, I think you're so enthralled by it. You know, you're there all the time. You study it. I think this is your calling. Just follow that path, which is what I did. And it was sort of like an omen. It just worked out so perfectly because I remember, I was 10 years in my company and the day that I was going to have the conversation with my manager that I'm leaving the company, I'm going to transition into the fitness industry. She had something to tell me as well. She'd said that my store, I was managing the store at the time in the Upper West Side. I worked for Helmut Lang in theory and she had said the store was closing down. Oh, wow. And I was like, Wow. And I was like, well, I have something to tell you. I think this is a great omen. I I was actually going to come here and tell you today that I've decided to transition out of the fashion industry. And it was just like, okay, this was meant to be. And when I went to Equinox and I spoke to the manager and I said, hey, I want to join the team and I want to start my career. He welcomed me with open arms. He said, we've been waiting for you. So it was just like a very smooth sailing transition for me. And I just knew, okay, this is definitely up, you know, like <laughs> a calling and I needed to be on this path. And that's how I started. I, and I loved it. I, I love the autonomy of being my own boss. And I just love that I get to share, you know, fitness with other people. And that's how I started. <laughs> so your initial introduction into working as a fitness professional was through Equinox? Yes, that's how I started. Um, initially, I was a member, but then I became you know, a professional trainer there. And that was my introduction to the industry. Wow. Well, talk about a small world. So my partner <laughs> on my podcast, Dr. Paul Juris, who is my mentor for um, my studies in motor learning and control, is mm-hmm. one of the original developers of the Equinox the Equinox Fitness Training Institute, the EFTI. He's the original yes. person that developed it. So all these that threads are coming together here. Yeah. Yeah, that is that was a valuable asset, honestly. That ain't like you know integrating that into the like educational system wasn't that. Yes, yeah, so was that your first sort of professional coursework in this? Yes, field? yeah. And I was like, oh wow, there's a lot more to know about the body, and, and so that was definitely like like just my first introduction to it. And I know because we we spoke over the summer, and I know you're taking a nutrition course. So let's put a pin in that because I want to ask you about that later because I know you've continued your studies. But okay, cool. So how long, essentially, how long have you been a fitness professional now? So I transitioned um, into the industry in 2016. Okay. So about six years. About six years. Oh, wow. It's relatively new. (laughs) So, Uh, so that I feel though, like six, like six years though, um, the last six years I feel have been 
so transformational um, and maybe a little bit like six to eight years versus the last, I don't know, 30 years, just in terms of, you know, this whole concept of body image and body acceptance and body positivity. So for example, funny enough for anyone that's listening, Kinda actually works. You see at least some clients at the gym I used to work at 20 years ago, which was formerly called Clay and is now called Complete Body. Uh And when I was a trainer, you know, um, 99% of my clients would come in with some aesthetic goal and is usually either mm-hmm. Brad Pitt or Arnold Schwarzenegger or Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. or Jennifer Aniston. But, you know, the common denominator was at least mm-hmm. people's initial goals were almost always aesthetically driven and almost, you know, to these absurd, like really low body fat type of uh, body images and stuff. So in the six years since you started, have you seen a shift or when you came in right away, was there like, had the tide already been turned to a significant degree? I think when I came in, I was at the precipice of it, like changing, even with education, I think functional training was a terminology that was very new in, in the industry. I believe the, the bodybuilding world was sort of phasing out. It was still there but I think there were more expansive like tenets um, of fitness and making it more applicable to just, I guess, a regular person who's not really interested in bodybuilding. So I think I came, I was riding that wave of it changing. And with Equinox, I think I loved working there because it transformed just the mindset of just it being aesthetically, aesthetically, mm-hmm. aesthetic, aesthetics. It was more about just like, like I said, functional movement was a terminology that was like heavily used when I was, you know, working mm-hmm. there and just being able to function and just how movement helps with just, you know, pain management. Those are concepts I never imagined a thought that would, you know, like fitness would do that to relieve pain. So I think I was just at the, you know, when it was like taken off and changing. Okay. Now, did you find, because when you talk about that, it makes me think of like, when I was training, I felt like those sort of concepts were like what we as the trainers want to do, but our clients are really like, look, I just want to lose 10 pounds. Like I don't really care. Mm -hmm. Functional this, that, whatever. Like, so are you saying that when you started, you feel like it already had seeped sort of into the consumer side that they were seeking more of like, of course, aesthetics will always mm-hmm. be important and have its yep. place in like someone that's mm-hmm. going to probably hire a personal trainer. But are you saying that when you started, you already source, saw the beginnings of like this cultural shift where at least the people that were coming yeah. to Equinox were interested in something? For- Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. Absolutely. They were... It wasn't just purely aesthetics. A lot of people came for pain management. And they wanted to do it through their fitness trainer versus like a physical therapist or doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them just wanted to take control of their health. They knew that, Mm -hmm. okay, this was part of a healthy hygiene, you know, being active that was supposed to be part of it. So they were like taking on this new identity around fitness. And I think it was also easier for me to sell that thought process, you know, outside of just like, oh, we're just going to come here purely for aesthetics. So fast forward six years later to now. So let's say you get an email on your website today and it's someone that heard of your name or was referred Mm -hmm. to you. Like what is, and I know you um, actually, let me not speak for you. Can you give us an idea (laughs) of like the types, like sort of the demographic of the Mm -hmm. types of clients you work with now? Yes. I work with a very 
broad range of clients. Uh, my youngest client is 25. My oldest client is 62. Mm-hmm. So it's very varied and everyone has like different goals. But I'm also realizing the 22-year-olds, they're not coming in just for aesthetic goals. You know, a lot of them are coming in for mental health. They understand that this, yeah, like I I train a young woman and I'm so impressed by her, by her just having the emotional intelligence to know that, okay, you know, I want to take control of my mental health and a way that I can take control of it is also by working out. And she's seen the benefit of that and how that like helps her anxiety and her mental health. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's just, it's amazing. I was like, oh, wow, this is, um," but I also think the way I market myself too, like my business is called Power in Movement. Um, It's about harnessing the power within. And I think movement is impetus to, you know, allow us to actualize our best selves. So I sort of like market myself in that way. And I think clients who gravitate towards me already have the same ideology. Yeah. So we kind of just align with each other. So the common denominator is of whether, no matter what the age range or whatever their previous exercise experience or skill level might be, it's people that sort of take more of a, like a longevity approach to their health. Yes. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yes, okay. absolutely. Cool. And so to just, you know, uh, these are things that I'm curious about. And I think in a conversation we had, I was mentioning to you that on my walk from the gym to my office, I walk by Lululemon, I walk by Athleta, I walk by Bandier, you know, all these stores that sell male and female, but primarily mm-hmm. like women's athletic clothing. And I can't help but observe that now there are mannequins in much larger sizes than there were even, I, I even want to say like four years ago, three years ago. Mm-hmm. So to some degree, uh, an acceptance of body sizes and shapes has really been mm-hmm. normalized. And I'm curious for someone that's working in a gym every day, mm-hmm. like how has that, how is this acceptance of body shapes and sizes? Like, do you feel that it's really reduced the amount of people that uh, are coming into you where a step, like on the, the, when you have your initial client intakes, like where would you say just in your experience, like aesthetics Mm -hmm. is for most of the people that eventually come to find you? I would say aesthetics is the least of what we talk about. Really? Um, Wow. That's fascinating. and, And I'm just like, it's, it really is. It really is. And I really appreciate that because that's who, that's who I want to work with. You know, I want people who understand that this is sort of like a self-care, you know, or a health and wellness hygiene. It's about longevity. It's not just about the short-term goal. Mm-hmm. So it's very fascinating. A lot of clients just come to me, even like I have two 25 years old. They both, they're not really interested in like drastic weight loss. They're not bringing pictures. They just want to feel good and be mentally strong. Does it make it any harder on any level when there aren't like clear and defined goals such as like, cause my, when I was a trainer, it was always, mm-hmm. someone was, oh, and I'm not criticizing, just sharing my experience. Yep. Someone was always like, I'm getting married in this amount of time. I want to look like mm-hmm. this. And, and mm-hmm. so at least there was a measurable finish line as opposed yes. to like in my clinic, you know, I'm mainly working on like um, mm-hmm. chronic pain type things, but Yep. In your experience, if someone is coming to you and it's more just about like general health or mental health, does it make mm-hmm. your job any harder in any way that like there aren't as, there might not be as clear and defined goals? Or do you just have to change the conversation in a way where you can still chisel out more clear and defined goals? Yeah, we pivot. I, I make more like, what is it? 
goals that they're objective, like, Hey, you know, we could work on you performing 10 pushups or as we, you know, progress in their programs, they do see themselves getting stronger. Mm-hmm. They notice like, Oh my God, I could even squat 20 pounds before okay, so lift, I'm squatting a 50. Yeah. Awesome. So make it more like a strength objective and strength goal, but they do see how much they're getting stronger. And I think that's, that's like, oh, wow, I'm actually getting stronger. I'm lifting more weights. I'm doing more push-ups. That's awesome. What if I told you the biggest thing standing in the way of peak performance is potentially something as simple as changing how you breathe? We at Think Fit, Be Fit rely on science for new ways to optimize performance. That's why we've partnered with NeuroPeak Pro and their new product, the Intel Belt. NeuroPeak has developed the next generation of wearable tech. This belt is a real-time training device designed to teach users how to breathe properly in order to strengthen their resilience to stress, recover quickly, and effectively execute the task in front of them. If you're ready to begin unleashing the true power of breath, Download the free NeuroPeak Pro app to experience their precision breath training or dive deeper into the science of breath training by visiting thinkfitbefitpodcast.com slash NPP. Your best training is a breath away. Because one of the side tangent conversations I wanted to have with you is that, so look, I could... I have a lot of mixed feelings about CrossFit or high intensity uh-huh. interval training done in the CrossFit style, but that's, that's for another conversation. But <laughs> one thing I will definitely, in my opinion, to me, what I think CrossFit, where it's been really valuable is that I feel like it's really normalized the idea of women strength training and strength training, strength training and things like when I was a member of Equinox, in 2000, mm-hmm. I never had to wait at the squat rack for like, mm. you know, the squat rack was where like all the guy, the bench press and the squat rack were like, where all the guys hung out. And like, yeah. I think it's fantastic now that like I go to mm-hmm. the gym anywhere in the country, but in New York and I see women deadlifting, squatting, bench, you know, so I feel yeah. like CrossFit should, um, mm-hmm should should get some of the credit for i feel like normalizing some of the idea of like women lifting weights with a high intensity so is that something and again just going back to my experience Mm -hmm. as a trainer i would often have to have the conversations with my female clients about this idea that we all hate that like lifting Mm -hmm. weights will make you quote unquote bulky yeah so and again i'm way out of the loop now i'm in my <laughs> office every day so mm-hmm. what's the word on the street is that even a conversation <laughs> you have to have anymore is that is that no um, or some clients do have that myth and they do bring it up to me but i think with the prevalence of social media and i think you know when clients sought after me they typically find me through google and they have access to my social media and i do post a lot of my workout routines and I believe clients do see me working out and they're like, oh my God, she's lifting like 300 pounds. She's squatting like 265 mm-hmm. and look at her body. Mm-hmm. So I think I represent that to them as well. Like, hey, I can lift that heavy too. And I don't have to like look bulky. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever they do have that doubt or that fear, I'm like, I told them, I said, look at me, you know, I lift more. I, I even work out more, but I don't look like that. And I try to tell them like, you know, that specific like bodybuilder look is a specific look. Mm-hmm. It involves a specific type of training. And, and there's no it. way. 
Yeah, a lot of it. It's a lot of work. The diet is a lot of work. Yeah. They work. They work extremely hard to achieve yeah. their bodies. So and I sometimes just tell them, like, supplemented <laughs> by uh, certain. Yes. Certain yeah. Things. Yeah. So I was like, no, just don't worry about that. But I think when they see my body and they see that I lift, it brings them solace. It says, okay, well. I feel okay. And I think the prevalence of CrossFit and, you know, more women um, on social media lifting, I think it's made it more like, oh, I can do that. And I don't have to fear looking like that. By the way, I feel like these are like relics of just a really old, uh, much older era and thought process. But like, is that even Mm -hmm. strictly like a perspective from a female point of view? Like, do you have male clients that might also like, do they have, do they subscribe to that same idea that they'd be concerned about lifting weights because it makes them bulky or is that more of a, no, I think it's, it's an ideology that's more women. And I mm. think it's because it's an ideology has been marketed, marketed to women specifically. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we've been indoctrinated to feel like, oh my God, if we lift five pounds, we're going to yeah. be bulky. Yeah. And no. And I said, I tell my clients, you know, your goal is weight loss. So if you're on a caloric deficit, there's no way you're going to put on that much muscle mass anyway. If you're trying to, if you to look like that, you have to be at a high caloric intake and you're not there. You're in a caloric deficit. So there's no way for you to like look like that. <laughs> so do you think that like you and the clients you see that you're a real outlier in terms of like what the fitness market is looking for? Or do you think like there really has been like a significant cultural change into where like people mm-hmm. really do see the gym now as a way. And I, I really want to drill down on, um, so happy to hear. And I think it's fascinating that the idea of people using exercise as a means for their mental health care, which is really mm-hmm. like, you know, I probably overtrain mm-hmm. physically for my joints, but for mm-hmm. my mental health, I need it. And if I don't exercise, you know, I don't feel well, uh, yeah. mentally. So mm-hmm. Is that becoming more in the conversation? I know you mentioned that you have these two younger clients, but is that becoming mm-hmm. more part of the conversation that A, you're having with your clients, just B, you kind of notice in the fitness landscape as mm-hmm. you sort of move around the city? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's a, it's a it's definitely a cultural shift. And I hope it's not an out, just an outlier for me, but with the conversations I have, even with just like other trainers or you know, other clients who are not my clients, those are the conversations we're having. So I think it's definitely a shift that's happening within the industry. Wow. That, that's awesome. And then that's really heartening to hear. So let me, let me flip the coin on that. So mm-hmm. um, as we know, in the US, there's an obesity epidemic and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the CDC, so the WHO and the CDC, you know, they're always doing these studies and collecting databases on the obesity rise in the U.S. And so now it's mm-hmm. something about like one third of U.S. citizens above 18 are obese. So here's a here's a, a tricky conversation to have. But so on one end, I'm really heartened to hear that people see that going to the gym can have a positive impact on mental health. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also all for um, body acceptance and uh, body positivity and having a positive body image, really, no matter what your body size might be. Uh However, do you think there are any cons? There are people that 
by the definition of body mass index, BMI, based on your height and weight, mm-hmm. would be would be measured as obese. Yet a lot of the pop Nike, Lululemon, a lot of manufacturers that make and it seems to be more um, geared towards women's marketing, but on both sides, manufacturers of of sports apparel are now using models that would be in the obese BMI index, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they're using them deliberately as a way of showing like body inclusivity and Mm -hmm. body positivity. But, you know, there, I can honestly, there are parts of me that it concerns me a little bit because uh-huh. again, without knowing anything about this person and they could have yeah. blood pressure and all that, just mm-hmm. in general, um, we know the trends of obesity keep going up and they're mm-hmm. going up about like 2% a year, which is, you know, a, a little bit mm-hmm. alarming. So on one hand, I think, well, it could be a concern if you normalize obesity too much to where people mm-hmm. like, that's just sort of like, the standard default that most people think is a healthy range to be in. On the other hand, what we've just lived through all these centuries of really shaming mm-hmm. people for being overweight yeah. certainly mm-hmm. hasn't been healthier work. So what do you think? Yeah. Th- these aren't questions with right or wrong answers. I think, um, I think it's a great segue to open the door um, to make people feel accepted and inclusive. Mm-hmm. So if we're trying to fight obesity, right. And we're trying to get people to live more active lives. I think a way to make them feel accepted in these spaces who that are predominantly like housed by really fit people is by making them feel seen. So by making them feel seen, I think it empowers them to step foot in the, in the gym. In turn, we're kind of achieving what we want, right? We want them to be active. Right. We want them to feel empowered to take control of their health. Nike, Little Lemon might just might not have that sort of like egalitarian thought process that I just put out. It might just be for them to go with what's like in Mm Because we know body positivity is such like a big hot topic Mm -hmm. on social media right Mm -hmm. now. So we know brands do pick up on those little like buzz languages and try to adapt their marketing strategies to that. That might be why they're doing it. But Mm -hmm. on the other end of the coin, it's actually having a positive impact because I can say, oh, wow, I'm represented. I feel seen. That's my body. Yes, I'm going to take my ass to the gym. I'm going to shop here, wear something cute and be a badass and hit the gym. So it's still... Yeah, it's still kind of having that positive effect and it's not making it so like close-minded. It's like, oh, we're being more inclusive and there's different body types that are being accepted now in the gym. And are you getting this kind of feedback direct? Like, are you speaking to people on social media or in the gym that are saying like, hey, you know what? Like five years ago, I wouldn't have felt comfortable getting in a gym or putting on any tight fitting spandex like clothing but you yeah know, yeah that's, that's absolutely awesome. that's really awesome. even like with the, with the marketing like with nike lululemon a lot of athleisure brands they represent various body types mm-hmm. you know they do now and yeah. yeah they do they do mm-hmm. now so it's like oh i'm that body type but i can wear that and still feel sexy and go to the gym oh yeah okay so <laughs> I, I love what you're saying so i think if I'm hearing you correctly, is Mm -hmm. that by including everybody, at least we can like build a bridge to get everybody Mm -hmm. to recognize the benefits of exercise. And look, and the end goal, in my opinion, first of all, is not possible that everyone is going to look like those magazine pictures they brought into me 20 years ago, nor should it be. But just Mm -hmm. getting everybody closer to like living a vigorous, 
healthy, active life, you know, well into your, like, it drives me. So I'm 48, dangerously close to turning 49. And (laughs) it drives me insane to where um, someone will see me and, you know, they're like, oh my God, you're 48. You're still running on a treadmill, lifting weights. And like, Uh, because like, we've been conditioned to think, especially in this country where we have the luxury mm -hmm. of thinking it, that like, once you turn 40, you know, you should just literally like everything should hurt and crack. And I know. Yeah. (laughs) There's really like of all the science I've studied my entire life, there's really like, if you take care of your body, there's, you know, like you can keep Mm -hmm. building muscle and to some degree, keep building new brain cells up until you Mm -hmm. die, which if you absolutely do everything is to the extent uh, as well as you can, there's no reason in my mind you shouldn't live a ha- an active and happy, mm-hmm. at least an active life well into your nineties. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, it's all epigenetic. Um, what is it? Epigenetics and how you really take control of your yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, right? You're like, no. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's like, no, you're not just 40 and you can't do anything anymore. <laughs> you can't do anything anymore because you choose to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me put you on the spot here. So let's say tomorrow someone, let's say not that this would ever happen, but mm-hmm. there's some governmental agency that says, all right, we're going to put together. Actually, Obama did have a task force that was focused on like health and fitness. But of course, that got disbanded. <laughs> Topic for Mm -hmm. another conversation, but let's say they put together this health and fitness task force again. They saw your Instagram, they put you in charge of it. So how do you, how would you reach out to the people that are that one shade past the people that are now going to the gym, but wouldn't have five years ago, the people that just, you know, they're exercise resistant. How would I reach out to them? Yeah. That's a very good question. I don't know, because I guess I'm used to people who sought after me, you know, and I'm not well, sure say, how I would. Let me give you a scenario here. We'll do like um. a little play. <laughs> so you're you're in the airport, you're, you know, waiting for the plane and there's someone that, you know, just happens to sit next to you that's quite obese and he sees you're reading like a fitness book or magazine or something. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, wow. He's like, are you? you know, are you a trainer or something? I, you know, like mm-hmm. I don't exercise and, you know, I'm 40 and I don't exercise mm-hmm. and like my knees hurt and all that, mm-hmm. but I would like to. So like, you know, what's like the Trojan horse? Like, what do you think can mm. work to like get someone to, uh, is it like, I would speak to his, um, his pain points, the pain points he just mentioned to me about his knees. I would say, you know, if you're considering working out, I think you definitely should. I think, you know, Thinking, thinking of it as the very first step. And I, uh, it would really benefit you to, to engage in some sort of physical activity. It would really help your knee pain as well. There's been studies, you know, that's been shown like strength, resistance, resistance training really do help promote, you know, knee strength and knee health. So I think if I do speak to the pain point, that would be, you know, more of an inclination to say, oh, wow, this can take my pain away and this can remedy that. Do you get messages on your Instagram or something from people like that, from people that want to start exercising, feel like they should, but just can't find that gear to get it started? Yeah. They just and, don't know what, and, like how to start. And just cause this is something I'm curious about. So mm-hmm. like, what is the, like, what is the rate limiting step? If you have to, do they think it's going to be too hard? Is it going to be painful? It sounds like people mm-hmm. have made some progress of, of getting over whatever body shame there might have been. So like, yeah. 
what are there any common denominators? Like what's what's stopping those people you think most commonly? Is it like not enough time? I think it's just not not knowing what to do. Like I would take my sister for example. I remember when she wanted to she wanted to start working out, she just was intimidated. She goes, I just don't know what to do. Like the machines, the weights. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I kind of just took her under my wings and then just kind of gave her the basics foundation, like learning how to squat, deadlift, push, pull, all like the fundamental mm-hmm. movement patterns. I walked her through it and I gave her a program. I said, just do this for about six weeks. And she felt more empowered going into the gym, knowing what she's doing. So I think it's just a lack of knowledge and not knowing what to do in that space. And I always try to think of it with me too. Like when, before I started, I know when I started my fitness journey, I was intimidated to go on the gym floor. Even though you were an athlete? Yes. I had no idea, like the barbells, the weights, I just know what to do with it. So I started with Pilates with some guidance. I took classes and when I became accustomed to that and I felt like, you know, I want to branch out more, then I kind of inched my way on the floor and I dabbled with the machines and I just sort of progressed from there. So I think it's just kind of giving people some guidance on how to get started. So you, I, it sounds like you're saying a lot of people seem to feel overwhelmed if they don't really yes. know. Okay. Yeah. It's, it could be very intimidating and overwhelming. Like, okay, what do I do? <laughs> yeah. Cause I can, I can totally relate to like every year my accountant is like, you know, you should really be doing your own taxes. And I take one <laughs> look at, I'm like overwhelmed nope. in five seconds. <laughs> yeah. So, not for me. <laughs> and, and so here's the, let's use this as an analogy because if my accountant ever said to me, you know what? Like if I really showed you the basics Accounting could be fun. I would look at him like, you know, he had lobsters coming out of his ears. But like, <laughs> mm-hmm. do you think that, first of all, do you think fun has a place when it comes to training and like long, you know, taking a longevity approach to exercise? And B, do you think that people that are sort of exercise resistant just like they just can't imagine that some of this stuff could actually be fun? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think fun is a vital part in fitness journey. It's what's going to sustain you. It's what's going to, you know, keep you going. Mm -hmm. And I believe some people don't believe it's, it's not fun. And I think it's all about finding your fun. You know, there's different modalities when it comes to strength training or the fitness realm that you can find that fits and suits you. Um, and I think we just, we shouldn't inundate people with like, no, you must do this. You must do this this way. Then it makes it annoying. You know, they're mm-hmm. not like, they're not fitness trainers they're not competitors. They're just trying to move. So if we make it fun and say, you know what, it could be anything you want to do. It could be running, CrossFit, kettlebells, whatever modality that you think you're going to enjoy is what you should use because that's what's going to sustain you. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep doing it. If you don't enjoy it, you're not going to come back. So what's the point? Mm -hmm. And so even with, let's say clients you've been working with for a while that have made good Mm -hmm. progress. So I think we were having this conversation once that as a trainer, the thing we always have to balance is like, we do a certain amount of assessment to feel like, okay, this is what this person, these are their general goals. So these are the Mm -hmm. things we would have to do to point the needle in that direction. So there's always this dance between giving someone what they need, but also giving them things that they want. So they do want to keep coming back. So does in your personal, if someone is signing up to train with you, do you try to think of some things that like, okay, like I want to do, I want to do a pushing exercise, but also Mm -hmm. even going hard for six weeks, I want to try to make this fun. Do you try to use fun in creative ways 
to like, you know, keep someone on that, that long path? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's when the interpersonal skills also comes into play. Mm-hmm. Can you think um, of any good examples or am I putting you on the spot? I know it's so always I, I have, I typically tend to have a very fun disposition about me anyway. When I approach training my client, what does she say best? She described me as she goes, I'm hard, but I also have a very empathetic side to me. Mm-hmm. So I think I try to, I, I mean, I make them work mm-hmm. definitely, but I do have a side of me that's more empathetic and playful. So it makes it less strenuous and less like difficult for them. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also just tapping into the client's mindset, like what makes them tick. Right. Cause some people will find like these pseudo athletic drills, a lot of fun. You know, some mm-hmm. people will find doing plyometrics fun. Some people yep. love throwing a ball. Some people hate all that stuff. So yeah, to mm-hmm. your point, you really kind of have to know the person mm-hmm. and you know, like for some people I, would find like, I'd have to dial up some sort of competitive strategy mm-hmm. because, you know, yes. that's just what gets their juices going. And even for some, yep. for someone like me, if I was having a trainer, like I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't care about competing with the person next to me. Like, so yes. we're each different. So you have to use mm-hmm. those interpersonal skills. Yeah. Um, and be very in tune with their, their psychology of what drives them emotionally. So mm-hmm. you have to adapt your training to, you know, their sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. Well, so let me ask you one one more question. So this whole season that uh, Jen is doing has really been mm-hmm. based around each episode. We're talking to people in different fields that are doing slightly different things in the health and wellness field. And we're trying to come at the end of it, we're trying to build like a huge toolbox like that someone's mm-hmm. dad would have in the seventies that has every like 14 different types of screwdrivers <laughs> and hammers and And so, and we want to be able to give people like self-help tools. So what are a couple like, whether it's deep breathing or what, like, what are just a couple self-help things that you do in your life that you feel like have, you know, are really effective for you that you could share with the people listening? I would say creating habits that fit well into my lifestyle. So for instance, I am not like, um, I know I need to work out. I'm not, I don't adopt the strategy of, um, oh, you have to work, uh, wake up really early and work out is the best thing that you do before the day. That doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work for me. I, I work out when I feel like it mm-hmm. when, and that's usually in the, in like the late afternoons. So I just adopt things that's, that works well with my lifestyle. Cause mm-hmm. I know then I'm going to keep showing up for it and it's sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, so I know it's some flexibility. Sounds like yeah, that. like I know sometimes we adopt like really hard, um, little really hard black and white lessons from other people. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. great to you know to kind of like take bits and pieces from it, but when you're taking it, make sure you're integrating it with your own personality, with your own lifestyle, and what works for you. Mm-hmm. And that's when the habits will come in play, and that's when you can sustain them as well. Yeah, so I totally because the once you've developed the habit. I think it also gives you a lot more like credit in the bank, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term, to like be really flexible because someone like you or I, we both know like how much training is part of just our overall mental health, physical health. So we know we'll figure it in. But like, what would you mm-hmm. suggest for someone? Like, do you think that like for someone that's 
we mentioned before that someone that's been uh-huh. exercise resistant or is just starting out, would you mm-hmm. actually encourage them to be a little bit more rigid in the beginning, maybe just to develop the habit? Or do you think that like flexibility, like you've got to- I from- say flexibility. I say flexibility. Because yes, it, the rigid would work um, initially, but that takes the fun out of it. Mm-hmm. It really does. And when the fun is out of it, you're just like, oh, I have to do this. Oh, it's mm-hmm. just too like rigid. Mm-hmm. Make it fun for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um and also find your why. I think when you find, okay, why am I even doing this? Like, what do I want to get out of this? And really like dive into your why that will sustain you. You're not doing it for anyone. You're not doing it because I said so. You're doing it because oh, I want to start working out because I want to feel better about myself. I want to move better. So when you have your own why that drives you, it's so much better to sustain. And, and what do you think about, so I took a, a look at your Instagram and I think mm-hmm. I saw one video where you're, you're going like shooting at a range. And so like oh, yeah. you have like an <laughs> ecosystem of different mm-hmm. things that you're doing, which I also think mm-hmm. is really important. So yep. can you talk to, just share a little bit about your personal ecosystem and the things outside of the gym, which we know you're mm-hmm. trained what other just like exercise movement type things do you like to do to sort of round everything else out? I love biking. I love going on walks. I walk a lot with my dogs. Mm-hmm. So we're always oh, like yeah. walking, going to the park with them. I I love hiking. Um, and I just like doing like fun physical activities. Like the last one I did, like you said, was a gun range. That was mm-hmm. fun. I want to go, what is it? Go-kart racing pretty soon. Yeah. So cool. I just like sort of like do fun stuff. Um, they're, they're still like physically active, but they're fun. Uh, and there's no, like, they're just kind of like for the joy of the experience and the movement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just the joy of it. Just for yeah. the joy. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time before we split. How can people find you? You can find me at power and movement. Um, that is my IG handle. And, um, that is where I reside most of the time. <laughs> okay, great. Well, thank you Kinde so much. And we look forward to having you again at some point. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Think Fit, Be Fit podcast network. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family. If you're interested in further resources, check out or visit our website, thinkfitbefitpodcast.com.